From grain to glass, this show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Bound. Welcome to Homebrew Bound. I'm Casey. And I'm Miles. And this is the best beer show on the internet, according to our mothers. Absolutely. Uh, Joining us today is Eric Wood. The fabled brewing partner of mine. What up? How's it going? Hey, there he is. How we doing, gentlemen? We're doing pretty good. He is not in studio with us. He's joining us over Skype because something about it being too far to drive. And I've had something to drink. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get educated with barrel-aged beers. I understand. I'm actually a little jealous. We, we're, we're, te- we're not drinking any barrel-aged in the studio today I because that. I'm bad at preparing. <laughs> but we are drinking homebrew, some double IPA, so that... That kind of well, counts, right? That's everything. Yeah, that's awesome. It's very, very tasty. Very, very tasty. Uh, so, Miles, have you done anything brewing related the past week? You know, I tried to do something, I think, yesterday and Saturday. Yeah, well, no, you didn't try very hard. You told me no. That's right. <laughs> you don't need me for everything. Yeah, but <laughs> I kind of need your permission to like come over. This is true. And you said no. I did, because I needed a day off, damn it. You said no two days in a row. I Well, the first day I was busy, the second day no, I needed I know, a day off. I know. All right. uh, anyway, uh, Eric, what about you? Did anything brewing related lately? God, I wish I could say yes. Um, <laughs> other than like just behind the scenes reading and research and yeah. contemplation of recipe formulation and picking other brewers' brains and whatnot, no, I have not actually produced a single beer since last time we made Lambic. Oh, that was a fun day. Yeah. You guys can go back and listen to that episode, actually. <laughs> it's, it's our third or fourth episode, I think. It was fairly early on. Was it? No. No, maybe no. not. Maybe it was a little bit farther on. Yeah, I don't I don't know. They all kind of melt together after a while. <laughs> I want to say it was like episode seven or eight. It's very possible. Because I think the first three weeks we had guests. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. And right. none of them were Eric. None of them were Eric. I kind of sucked at life. <laughs> well, but we came to you, so it all worked out in the end. True. I think. That was nice. I know. He he's so he doesn't want to come here so hard that we have to bring the studio to him. Yeah, well, it worked. It, it did worked. work. It was a good day. It was. It was kind of fun. We had to jump off in the middle because the kettle died or something. <laughs> at was... least we were on the ball. Make <laughs> <laughs> up its mind. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get uh, too deep, uh, we're going to talk about barrel aging in the second half of the show. Yes. Uh, for the first bit, instead of facing a homebrew, we have a fairly in-depth listener question that I figured we could go over, uh, and it's actually about cider making. We talked a little bit about cider last oh, that's week. Right. And so he has he has a list of five or six questions. Uh, I answered him directly, but I figured we could open it up and just talk about it this first half here. Uh, so Mike is uh, dropped off a five-gallon bucket at a local apple orchard and got it filled with cider, yes. which I'm a little jealous of. Yes. Sounds awesome. Very jealous. Uh, so his first question was, uh, should he pasteurize the, the cider before he uses it? It depends on how fast he's going to use it. Oh, see, and 
what what I said to do, and like his, it kind of goes into his second question. Like, should he boil the cider to kill off any wild yeast? Okay. Uh, I responded with, and you guys can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. Are you eating something, Eric? No, I rolled my chair back. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so his, his second question was, should I boil the cider to kill off any wild yeast? I essentially said, you know what? Don't worry about it. If you're going to use it right away, just drop a few Camden tablets in there. Yep. Wait 24 to 48 hours for those to clear out, and that'll kill any wild, uh, any non-essential stuff. And then after that, you can pitch regularly. And never boil a cider because that'll uh, increase the haziness and make yeah. it look not, not good. Um, I actually did my first bit of research into the pasteurization of beers and found uh, a couple of references to homemade ciders. Mm -hmm. And the primary reason is because uh, you want to be able to stop fermentation before all the sugars get fermented away. Yes. So that you can actually have a sweet Well, well, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. There's a few ways to to make it sweet. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess uh, that just introduced me to one of the ways to pasteurize a beer, and this would be after bottle fermentation instead yep. of, you know, beforehand. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think you need to pasteurize five gallons of cider, like, in the big bucket. Well, no, I mean, even Eric and I, we used uh, fresh squeezed apple juice for our apple beer, mm-hmm. and, uh, heck, that stuff went two years and didn't have any problems. I don't know about that, man. Well, I mean, as far as... <laughs> fully fermented out. No, I mean, as far as uh, foreign More of an apple wine at that point than a cider. Well, it was more of like a craft beer. It was more like, you know, there was some tartness or uh, kind of green apple sour character, not from like, um, you know, bystanding brewing products. Was this like the uh, apple yes. ale that you brought in that was yes. a little overcarbonated and gushed yeah. a little bit? Yep. Yeah. Because the apple just kept fermenting. It it worked really really well with Brett. I will say that. Okay. So um, yeah, it's definitely been a beer that we've been meaning to rebrew. And Miles, if you can get a couple gallons of that cider, I'd be more than happy to uh, provide the grain and or yeast <laughs> to do so. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll definitely talk. I don't know. It's in need of a rebrew. It's such an interesting, you know, the apple graph or that cider. It's the next big thing, really. Craft yeah. cider. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, his next question was, how will wild yeast affect the end result? And I think that's more up your alley, Eric. Uh, wild yeast and cider, do you have any experience with that? Well, um, well, we've used Britannomyces uh, bruxellinus trois in our one of our, um, the only Brett beer, or apple beer that Miles and I made. And Miles, you can attest that it probably added a good amount of complexity and character over time. Yes. Uh, yes. Definitely did increase some of that sour character. Some of that tartness really started to shine. Uh, but you know, if you're going to add like a lambic culture to it, I'm not sure I would recommend that. But I would definitely recommend checking out um, Funk Factory Gooseria. Uh, just Google it. Um, it's my good friend Levi who's opening his own brewery and actually did 10 different Britannomyces yeast strains oh, uh, wow. on apple cider with a cidery. So Because that, that doesn't said, sound fantastic. <laughs> yeah, with that said, he would be the uh, resource to definitely pick the brain, but I think it goes well together. Okay. Uh, if you do it right. 
All right. Um, and then what type of yeast do you guys like to use in if you're doing a cider or a fruit or like a fruit beer like that? I say keep it as clean as possible and let the fruit shine. So yeah. American Ale is probably a standard or um, even my, Cali. Yeah, I, I guess my, my go-to for cider is Nottingham. Something about that yeast just really leans towards cider. I haven't actually made any actual ciders as opposed to apple beers. Um, and what I know from working at the liquor store, there are several wine yeasts that will would do the trick. Yeah, as well. uh, I hear dry champagne, and that's what yeah. uh, Mike yeah. asked about as well, dry champagne yeast. Um, uh, the one that I would Especially if you're going for the higher ABV ciders, yeah. they'll do better. Uh, the one that I would sell primarily was uh, a Cote du Rhone. It came in a little green package. I think it came from Red Star. Okay. So, all right. Um, and then adding uh, spices to ciders. When would you guys recommend doing that? In in the fermenter, uh, at bottling, probably flame out or packaging. Yeah, I would agree with that. I just feels like you could probably well with the cider. There, there there is no flame out. Mm, well, well that's right. definitely your only option pretty much is uh, packaging uh, packaging I would say 72 to 24 hours prior yep I, um, I it also oh, depends on what spices I mean well he's he's talking cinnamon uh, clove or honey that's yeah I, I guess I, honey really isn't a spice but uh, yeah so I, I recommended uh, it either add it to the fermenter a little bit before or uh, if you want really good control, make uh, like a spiced tea, like a tincture, and then sure. add it, uh, like figure out the ratio you want before you bottle it and then add it to the bottles individually. Yeah. That's, it's, it's a lot more work, but you get a much more controlled. A much more flavor. controlled setting. You get to make that's sure. the beauty of home brewing. You can try it both ways. And yeah. Without little expense to your wallet, you can try it literally two different methods and see what one. See which one you like. Yep. Yeah, because it's all personal palate. Yes. Uh, and then he asked about doing a secondary fermentation or a cold crash with a cider. I don't really think there's a whole lot of a reason to do a secondary. A, a, a cider is not going to be in fermentation that long. You're Only for at, improved clarity. Yeah. and Well, I, then you could just cold crash, essentially. Mm-hmm. And if you use... Uh, there's enzymes and stuff you can add to... Uh, pectic enzyme. If you add yes. that to your cider, that will clear it up and reduce any chill haze and stuff like that. Uh, then we get to the really interesting question of carbonation with a cider. Because that that uh, so if you let a cider ferment out, it's it it will eat all of the sugars and you'll end up with a very dry, uh, almost just well just boozy water is what you're going to end up with. Because uh, all that apple character and all those sugars are going to be eaten. So you can do two things. You can either let it do that and then back sweeten with, uh, you know, more apple juice or you know, and some like honey and sugar and stuff to add that sweetness back in, or you can stop it in during fermentation, bottle it about where you want it, let it carb in the bottles, and then either uh, keep them cold for the rest of their lives so the yeast stops working or pasteurize or pasteurize. Yes, uh, and you can you uh or you can uh stop uh what is there's there's tablets you can use like sorbate tablets or something. Uh, uh, it's actually the Camden, which is, 
I think yeah. it's Camden tablets. They're very, very versatile. Well, no, Cam- Camden tablets uh, won't no, necessarily no, no. kill uh, yeast. As far as I understand, what happens, uh, because I did some research in wine, it's either that or the KMS. Um, when the yeast stops doing its thing for whatever reason, you know, cold crashing or just ran out of sugars, you add it. And then it prevents them from waking back up if more sugar is introduced. Okay. Yeah, and and I want to say that's the Camden tablets, but I might be mistaken. No, I I think you're mistaken on that one. It's the potassium sorbate. It is. Yeah. 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 So potassium for sure. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So potassium sorbate will, I guess, halt your fermentation as long as no new sugar is added in. Well, no, it 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 should it should just halt your fermentation no matter what. It, if I'm not mistaken, the fermentation already needs to be stopped or paused. Well, I don't and think then it, it prevents it, it from restarting. Yeah, so you would cold you would cold crash it, yes. and then potassium sorbate, and it would stop fermentation. It would keep it stopped. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, it basically it makes surviving yeast incapable. So yes, it stops in, uh, incapable of multiplying, but it can stabilize. And not let it go any further. So yeah, I guess that is stopping. Great. <laughs> All right, it's, it stops. We're good. Okay. Add the stuff after cold crashing is, I, I think, is what yes. we came down to. Yeah. So basically, there those are the ways that you can. Yeah, and pasteurizing after after bottling. What that? Sorry. Uh, what that ends up looking like is you take or is you bottle, and then you wait about a week, and then you kind of start checking the carbonation levels on them and then you put them through a heat treatment which is i I think incredibly dangerous on the homebrew scale yeah i mean you'll you'll definitely want to do your research first um it ends up looking like a hot water bath uh in a controlled situation it's like 170 180 degrees I, i wanted to say 180 um you heat the water up you know you get a big stock pot heat the water up take it off the burner Put some bottles in, cover it up, because they will. Well, I don't know. I've seen I've seen a lot of horror stories of yeah. people doing that, and like the the caps will shoot off or the bottles will explode, and there will be dents in the in the alumina uh, the, yeah. in the aluminum or stainless steel stock pot from where the bottle caps have hit the yeah. hit the lid or the side. So I mean, it's definitely uh, uh, at your own risk situation. It's it's fairly terrifying. Yeah, I, I like the uh, the first method better. Yeah, uh, what I do, we make a cider every year for Christmas, and we I mean, we do a super simple cider. We go to the grocery store, uh, buy cheap apple juice yep. that ha- that has no additives. Uh, yeah, because, surprisingly, the cheaper stuff is the better stuff to use. Yeah, no, you, you well, you got to find the stuff that doesn't have potassium sorbate already added to it. Yeah, which is hard to do. Yep, uh, but you find that. Yeah. Whole Foods or something? Or? Uh, actually, there's a Walmart brand that we yes, yes, sweet. No, it's funny. Like, and it's it you know it's it's like three or four bucks a gallon, and so we just buy five of those. And or well, I guess last year or the past two years we've been done ten gallons, so we just buy ten of those, dump them in a bucket, throw yeast in, let it sit, and it's the easiest brewing thing <laughs> in the world. So why don't you just do that, and then next week you'll have something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, because it takes about two weeks to get it where I like it, because I like it slightly on the drier side. Well, that's news to me. Right? Uh, <laughs> who would have thunk it? Casey likes something dry. Wow. <laughs> uh, 
All right. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't we get into the discussion topic today? Miles, you want to introduce that? All right. We're going to be talking about barrel aging your beers. And we're, for the most part, going to be interviewing Eric for this. He seems to be the regional master as far as our little group goes. I'm off the hook. You How are... is that possible <laughs> that I'm the regional master? <laughs> we don't have I... a very big region. Ah, there we go. So by <laughs> default. Right. I've never barrel-aged anything, so you win. All right. Uh, so, Eric, question one. Is barrel-aging available to me as a home brewer? Like, how reasonable is it for me to try and accomplish? Depends how much money you have. <laughs> um, well, so, yes, there are a variety of ways you can accomplish a barrel-aged flavor to your homebrew. Um, one of the more expensive, albeit probably the better version, is to purchase your own uh, small vessel and or large vessel whiskey barrel. Okay. Uh, they're generally in the past couple of years, there are a couple small distilleries made small batch whiskeys in five gallon format, readily available to homebrewers via a couple of regional homebrew sites. So adventures in homebrewing. If you Google that type in used whiskey barrel, uh, you could find about a five gallon whiskey barrel shipped anywhere into the United States too for, Oh, buck 20. Oh, that's not terrible. No. Eh, no, and you get about three uses out of it before you really want to think. I mean, you could, I guess, get unlimited uses out of it, but um, for premium flavor and character, I would say three. So after three uses, uh, are you three losing, yeah. are you losing like oak character or? Definitely. Yep. Okay. Some of the oak character just kind of fades and you really just, whatever spirit you condition it with tends to just become boozy and fusel at okay. that point. Uh, um, so would you would you say, like, after two, do a sour in it to get the most out of that barrel? I mean, barrel, that's up to or? your personal opinion. Okay. Um, that would be what I do and will continue to do until I buy another barrel, which needs to happen. Um, and given that research, I haven't found any five-gallon used whiskey barrels or bourbon barrels or whatever, for that matter, and everything is 10 gallons now. And okay. those run about buck uh, seventy shipped. That's not too bad. I mean, the scale up price. Yeah, no, it's, it's not, not double. It's so. not bad. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if all you do is barrel aged beers and you do them in a ten gallon format, that's really not. Yeah. Too bad if you really think about it. So let me follow up so. with this real quick. I, if I don't want to buy a barrel, what are my other options? Uh, some of your other options are using uh, wood chips or like oak shaved barrel chips, if you will. Okay. Uh, sorry if you hear dogs barking. Um, <laughs> it's it's clear and apparent. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. It's fine. Uh, oak spirals, and those we'll address later in the episode. But oak spirals, generally, those both of those can be purchased at your local homebrew store. And um, that's more affordable? Oh, yeah. They're... <laughs> Anywhere between five and fifteen dollars for a package. Flavor wise, are they comparable each? to? I don't think so. I think they impart a great deal more of tan- tannin and um, some of that astringency that you get from oak. I guess that would make more sense. There's more toast. surface area touching. Precisely, the beer. it is faster. I mean, you can put in a package of oak chips and take your beer off of it and. I don't know, 10 days and have substantial character, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
All right. There's that. <laughs> what different types of barrels can be used to age a beer? Well, um, I well, really, most barrels are made of oak. Okay. I would say 95% are made of some oak. The variation comes in with the toast level on the oak, whether it's light, medium, uh, or a heavy toast. Uh, there is also uh, regional disparity in the type of oak. So French, New American, or Hungarian are generally the ones you will see over, I would say, a majority of homebrew shops and or, you know, barrel outlets, if you will. They uh-huh. do exist. Uh, but really, it really depends on your base beer and what you're putting into the barrel. So as far as uh, the barrels themselves, the sky's the limit, and then it just kind of kind of determines uh, what you want to do with it from there on? Yeah, I mean, kind of. There's a barrel co-op up in northern Minnesota that you can get, like, different, like six different types of wood built into one barrel. Wow. Which is what Surly Brewing Company used for their Surly 6th anniversary ale, which, if you've had it now, is pretty crazy. Right is on. there a uh, specific reason you would want that many different kinds of wood in a single barrel only because you can (laughs) personally i had surly six just this past weekend and you know it was a beer that's already incredibly polarizing to begin with but there's just too much going on oh yeah yeah it's just overly oaked and tannic and it's just for me too much okay uh i i mean using the different types of oak are you going to get uh noticeably different oak flavors or not really or is more of that going to come from how fresh the barrel is or what spirit was uh aged in it beforehand my thought is a little bit of both uh if it's a freshly dumped barrel and you pop a beer in there same week per that it was dumped you're obviously going to get a volatile um big big boozy note and the oak won't shine, especially when you're aging some of those higher gravity beers. You don't have such a long window mm-hmm. as where you would in a sour beer. So you're going to pick up booze and tannins. And um, I would say uh, a barrel that's had a little bit of time post rinse, maybe three weeks to a month would be your best. And when I say that, that means that you're going to get most of your vanilla, your toffee, some of that burnt marshmallow, creme brulee notes that you get in some of those better barrel-aged beers in America. Okay. Well, cool. Um, Well, on that note, what styles of beer should I consider barrel-aging? Oh, man. Um, All of them. (laughs) So that depends who you ask. Uh, Personally speaking, higher-gravity English and American ales uh, generally benefit the best. Um, Belgian quads do, do pretty well depending on, uh, their gravity and what they taste like pre-barrel. Okay. But I would stick to your Imperial Stouts, your American strong ales, your English and American barley wines. Stronger Um, and darker. Typically. Yeah. That is a general rule of thumb. I mean, I can't lie to you there. I mean, when's the last time that you had a barrel aged lager that was incredible (laughs) (laughs) or a, well, you know, actually, I had one done, from Lakefront barely... recently. Okay, that one was good. That was a fun <laughs> beer. But you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, so you're not going to barrel-age Heady Topper. You're no. just not going to do that. And if you do, you're an idiot. 
So it, you know. basically, you're looking for those those rose characters. Do they? I guess do they complement the oak flavors more than something the, lighter that would that would just shine through oak? Uh, the easy answer is yes, Miles. You can probably attribute that some of the roastier big big imperial stouts like. Oh boy, I'm trying to think of a commercial example. Uh, Bell's Expedition. Yes. Uh, when it com- becomes Black Note, does do pretty good with barrel aging, but not always. Okay. That's a that's a o- pretty open ended question. Really, you should not barrel age a lager like a like a American Pilsner. Well, I guess that walks us right into the next question. What are some of the ones I should specifically avoid consider aging? I'd say a half of ice and barrel aged half of ice. Yeah, half of ice. Bueno. Honestly, pretty much anything. Don't do that. Seven and a half percent and under fourteen SRM. I mean, what's up with barrel aged amber ales? Please, somebody explain that to me. I was hoping you could explain that to me. I don't. I (laughs) well, the only way I like to barrel age my ambers is in a barrel that has seven different kinds of wood in it. Right. Hey, that might be interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I guess. Uh, are are there certain uh, hops that uh, go well with barrel aging, or do you really just want a low hop beer going into your barrel? Like I think something you want that's a reasonable not going to be super... amount of bitterness to. Okay. Um, so one of the things we were drinking barrel aged darkness tonight, and as you may know, surly darkness is an incredibly hoppy imperial stout to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the hops and the tannins just really clash. Uh, some of that tannic oak kind of gives you headache and some of that bitterness just leads to, I don't know, it's just not desirable. So you kind of want some of those richer, more full flavor components to come through with malt. Okay. Um, but I don't think I could answer the question of what hops play well barrel aging. And I'm not sure, Miles, if if we really know. I don't think you want a citra hops imperial stout in a no, barrel. No, no. I, I was just wondering if, if you know, say like noble hops or sea hops or... Well, sure, they all do pretty well as long as they're not super aromatic and piney. Okay. Well, I think, uh, Eric, you and I, we've had a couple of the barrel-aged Mad Hatter IPAs. Oh, yeah, good read. I was not a big fan of almost any of no. them. No, I agree with you. <laughs> all right, um... But here's a question for you. So I have my beer in a barrel now. Mm-hmm. How long should I keep it in there? What kind of beer is it? Uh, it doesn't matter. It's an open-ended question. Let's say it's a, uh, like, oh, I, well, I, I, let's start on the lower end. Let's say it's a porter. You're doing a barrel-aged porter. And you just that want. Saying, are we talking a five-gallon barrel? Yeah. yeah. Let's, we're five Minimum gallons. Minimum two weeks, maximum six weeks. And absolute maximum on the six weeks. The, the best thing to be able to do is to be able to taste your beer as it ages in oak. And so um, at, I, I guess I'm going to kind of interrupt you here. So sure, you, you're you, you probably want to taste it like a weekend and see if it's going where you want, right? Sure. Uh, do, you, do you taste it more often if it's a newer beer? Or I, I mean a so, newer barrel? Or So the thing with barrel aging is any amount of oxygen that gets into that barrel is bad news bears. You're you're really risking a, a highly hyperized um, oxidation. So really, the best way that and I haven't actually used this in practice, but every other home brewer swears by it, is to take a oh I don't know quarter inch, half inch, maybe three quarter inch nail, and nail it into the end of your beer 
and seal it with uh, using beeswax. And then when you want to take a sample to pull a nail, that's why there's a couple, like a couple homebrew jokes and or beers named after pulling nails, because yeah. that's the way the liquid, you know, they take the liquid out, out without introduce oxygen. Pretty Intriguing. much zero oxidation. Oxidation, yeah. So we should consider that. That's, yeah, that's definitely very intriguing. Um, so yeah, I mean, some of your bigger <clears throat> gravity beers, your imperial stouts, anything really over ten percent, um, is really to taste. Uh, if you've had a lot of commercial barrel aged beers, you'll know that um, less is not always more. Sometimes leaving a beer in barrel for Oh, I don't know, Miles. What do you think? Nine months to twenty-four months, yeah. just really depending how the beer is doing. And and then there's barrel and oak variation too. Not every barrel is the same barrel. Not it doesn't always all happen the same way. Well, what uh, I've found is that um, it, it depends on how long your beer is in there. Uh, oh the, yeah, and, totally. And the, sorry, I guess the flavor profile changes from if it's in there from six weeks to six months. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that, and if, if it were me and you doing another barrel aged beer, I would say leave it in there for three months versus six weeks because we didn't get nearly those deep vanilla and toffee tones that we wanted, but we got a nice oak character. We got a nice, um, I don't know, there was just a nice whiskey presence in general. Okay. But, so if you, you want know, sour beers, those can take anywhere between one and four years, I'd say. Yeah, yep, uh, absolutely. Um, my research said, uh, in general, two to three for wild ales and sours. They just totally. they just do their thing for well, it a takes long, time. long time. I mean, there's yeah. there is some of that. Uh, some of the research I had done was that generally speaking, a uh, wine when wine goes into oak, it penetrates about six millimeters into the oak staves of a barrel. Whereas if you have light toast, you're going to get no measurable depth of seepage of liquid. Um, Mm -hmm. Medium is two millimeters and heavy toast is generally three to four for beer. Interesting. I did not know that. Didn't either. All right. So uh, why don't we skip to the end here? What are some of the other quick concerns that I should be aware of when I want to barrel yeah, age a beer. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely getting towards the end of the time here. I do want to sure. say we're going to do a part two of the barrel uh, aging thing at some point just because there's so much information here. Oh, we're going to dive yeah, deeper into some of these topics. So much. Uh, but in the short amount of time here, yeah, answer the final question here and we'll go on. Well, I think um, definitely your vessel size that you're aging in, whether it's an uh, actual whiskey barrel or staves, um, you know, the smaller the barrel or the smaller or the greater the amount of surface area, the faster the flavors generally um, get let into the beer. Okay. Um, it does vary depending on your gravity of work going, going into the barrel. And that, that, that also depends. Did you complete primary fermentation pre-barrel treatment or did you actually just ferment inside of a barrel? There's, there's so many aspects that can change how literally change barrel aging as a science. Sure. So that's kind of a, sorry if that's not a very good answer. No, that's, that's, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. Again, uh, we, we definitely need to dive into some, some of these deeper and we will as you know, the weeks. Absolutely. Go on. I'd yeah. love to help you guys. 
All right. Well, thanks again for coming on, Eric. And if you guys have any barrel questions, uh, send them our way, either to feedback at blindnewsstudios.com or send us to them on Facebook, and we'll we'll try to get back to you and maybe have uh, Eric answer an email or two if he if, if need be. So. All right, guys. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Much Saturday is a, a good show, so hopefully I can make it down for that. Sounds good. All right. Cheers, gentlemen. See ya. Cheers. Bye. Well, thanks you for tuning in. If you remember, we do this every Monday live at blindinstudios.com slash live or on youtube.com slash blindinstudios. Oh, if you feel like supporting the show, <laughs> I don't know why I just got like super tired of right it. If you like, if, if you want to support the show, you can do that by going to patreoncom studios or going to studios.com and clicking on the become a patron link at the bottom of the page. Uh, even a dollar a month really helps us out. So become a recurring donor today. Otherwise, if you're going to do any Amazon shopping, go on over to uh, blindnewstudios.com, click on the Amazon affiliate link, do your regular Amazon shopping, and we get a little bit of a kickback. All right, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blindnewstudios. Follow us on Twitter at blind underscore ninja. And I'll see you next week. Do Facebook? Oh, feedback. Feedback. Uh. <laughs> uh, send feedback to feedback at blindnewstudios.com. Wow, I really messed up this outro. I don't know what's going on today. All right, I'll see you guys next week. Bye.